Get your soul growing, get your soul developing, get your soul maturing. Because that, a strong soul, your soul's like a muscle, the stronger your soul is, then guess what? The more able it is to resist the pull of worry and anxiety in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast with the one and only me, the Salty Pastor. Dr. Douglas Peak here with you on this uh, balmy February day and uh, where I am broadcasting from. It's a little bit chilly and windy out today. We got a little brief uh, shot of spring there, but ah, like all times, the weather deceived us. And now we are back into winter. So it's even snowing yesterday, just a little bit. Thank goodness it didn't stick. Uh, we want you to become a part of the Salty Crew and listen to the Salty Pastor. So like and subscribe, like and subscribe. You can go to our YouTube channel, the Salty Pastor, and you can like and subscribe there. It really helps us grow. If you'd like to financially support the Salty Pastor and its growth outside of the Treasure Valley, which is located in the southwest corner of the great state of Idaho, then uh, you can do that by going to the website foothills.org and you can click on the give button and there it gives you different places to give and the salty pastor is one of them now the reason why we want you to become a part of the salty crew is because our goal is to help you think for yourself long days are gone when people would just kind of go to a church or go someplace and say okay pastor tell me what to believe and think and then they were fine with that you live in a very diverse world you live in a world with competing ideologies and today more than ever you need to know what you believe and why you believe it and this has become incredibly apparent in our current series, Weeds in My Garden. We're trying to have an honest conversation about mental health. And so we've just been talking about all of these different things that people are dealing with. This week on Tuesday, we started the week off with a podcast on um, worry and anxiety. And I thought what was really interesting about that is the scriptures have a lot to say about worry and anxiety. And so we uncovered a bunch of biblical principles there. Uh, if you'd like to go back and do a deep dive on those passages where we read them and exegete them, listen to Tuesday's podcast of this week, and you will be able to uh, kind of go deeper on those things. If you're just jumping in on this Thursday, then let me just give you the highlights. First and foremost, we discovered that scripturally worry and anxiety are realities. They do exist. The Bible addresses them. They're real things that real people experience every day of their life. Number two, worry and anxiety interfere with your life. The Bible sees them as uh, negative influences on your life and actually gives us instruction on how to address them and deal with them. They're not good things. They're not good things. They have a negative impact on your relationships. Worry and anxiety has a negative impact on your own self-perception. It has uh, a negative impact on uh, whether or not you feel like you're doing well and you're happy in this world or you're overburdened, overwhelmed, and stressed out. So worry and anxiety are the opposite of enjoying your life. They're the opposite of experiencing the blessing in life. Uh, to be at peace in life. 
And so the Bible says, you know, worry and anxiety are real things that you need to deal with because they interfere with your authentic life. Number three, worry and anxiety make your purpose in life, your direction in life really foggy. Uh, it interrupts the, the ability, the mental process to ask yourself, what is the real point and purpose of my life? What am I investing myself in? Where am I going? Why am I going in this direction? And what happens is worry and anxiety interfere with that process. And so that makes life much more confusing and foggy and, and hazy. And you're just not quite sure, which of course means it's difficult to be a courageous person or a confident person or an ambitious person if you have a foggy sense of your life. So we're in anxiety, the scriptures say, really interfere with knowing and walking and living in the foundation of who you are and who you're meant to be, who God created you to be and what he's doing in your life. Number four, worry and anxiety is something where you have to make an intentional effort to face it. You have to face worry. You have to face anxiety in your life because this is part of what it means, according to the scriptures, to grow up and to mature. You know, you have to face these things. If you don't, if you ignore them or live with them, then it's very difficult to mature in your faith. So that connection, I think, is really important. You have to have a connection where you are saying to yourself, this worry, this pattern of worry in my life, or this anxiety, this pattern of anxiety in my life is interfering with my life. And if I want to mature and grow, I need to face it and address it. So based on those things, let's get really practical and let's kind of dig into uh, the difference between worry and anxiety. I, I was doing research, read a lot of different things, a number of different books on this series and particularly on this topic. And one thing that I found that was helpful was actually from Psychology Today, which I'm not a big fan, by the way, of that uh, magazine. I think they publish a lot of uh, uh, non-peer review studies they editorialize and then say it's science when it's not. But in this particular case, I vetted this article and it seemed to be helpful because it creates categories of understanding and it's titled the 10 differences between worry and anxiety. And I thought that was really, hmm, this is good. So this is based on more broad-based research. And so I decided to employ it in my discussion with you today. Number one, he says, the difference between worry and anxiety is that we tend to experience worry in our heads and anxiety in our bodies. The article says that worry tends to be more focused on thoughts that we have in our minds, while anxiety is more visceral and that we feel it in our bodies. So anxiety, you know, your heart can palpitate, get sweaty palms, you can feel closed in, your skin can get clammy, and it get vertigo. There's all these different things that anxiety can do to you in your body. You feel it, whereas worry is something that's happening in your mind predominantly. Number two, worry tends to be specific while anxiety is more diffuse. Now this is what's really interesting is that the difference uh, we, about worry is, is the unique thing about worry, let me say it that way, is we worry about, you know, their, their illustration, we worry about getting to the airport on time. So that's like a specific thing, right? It's a reality. But a person can feel anxious about traveling, which is a more vague or more general concern. You could say, well, are we going to get to the airport on time? I don't know. 
that's something you worry about, which, of course, inspires problem-solving skills. But anxiety is like, I'm afraid of flying, okay? Worry is verbally focused, while anxiety includes verbal thoughts and mental imagery. So I thought this was really interesting. It says, the difference between worry and anxiety, according to psychology today, is that worry is verbally focused, while anxiety includes verbal thoughts and mental imagery. The difference, it says, is important as emotional mental images, such as those associated with anxiety, provoke a much greater cardiovascular response than emotional or verbal thoughts, such as those associated with worry. So this is another reason why we experience anxiety throughout the whole body. So what they're saying is that anxiety creates an emotional image in your mind, right? And then that can impact you physiological. You know, it can, it can actually have an, a cardiovascular response. So that's, that's kind of helps you understand that. Whereas worry doesn't do that, you know? Number four, worry often triggers problem solving. Anxiety does not. Now, worry, it says, can lead us to think about solutions and strategies for dealing with a given situation. But anxiety is more like a hamster wheel that spins us around and around and around and never leads us to any productive solutions. So anxiety's diffuse nature makes it less amenable to problem solving. So that's a nice way of saying is that anxiety is like getting stuck in the mud more. It's like you get stuck in it and you can't get out because there's no specific problem solving skill that you can employ like you can for worry. The next one is Number five, worry creates mild emotional distress. Anxiety can create severe emotional distress. So kind of one of the differences between worry and anxiety that they're saying here is that is based on the severity of the emotional response to it. Anxiety, it says, is simply much more powerful. It, it creates so, so much more power in your life. It's much more disruptive. It's much more problematic psychologically than the state of worry. And this is what I was talking a little bit about on Tuesday about what happens is when we worry, we are employing a, a neural pathway to problem solve. The problem is, is if we worry about the same thing over and over and over again, then that becomes anxiety because that neural pathway gets established. Uh, I was reading a book by uh, John Deloney and he's talking about the anxious life. He says, these neural pathways form and then we pave them. <laughs> I thought that was a great imagery, you know. It becomes a paved sidewalk. And so what does your brain do? It wants to take the paved roads or the paved sidewalks because it's the most efficient. And so what happens is anxiety becomes this paved roadway in your brain. So it takes a lot of effort then to rip up that pavement and form a new one. But that's why you get stuck in the mud, you see, is because the brain is just so used to it. And I talked on Tuesday a little bit about how some of the mechanics biblically uh, that are designed to help us break out of worry and its effect on us, the break out of the effects of anxiety, is to think about the way we think and what that basically means is, hmm, how many neural pathways have I formed in my brain and how many of them are now paved sidewalks that my brain uses? And very few people do that, but you have the capacity to do that. And you have the capacity to do that because you are a spiritual person. So you have the sentient 
aspect of transcendence, the capacity to step out of your own shoes and evaluate yourself, that you do have that capacity as a, a person. Now, if you're an atheist, scientific materialist, secular humanist, you don't have that capacity because you don't believe that capacity exists because nothing exists out of those neural pathways. So it's really kind of interesting uh, dilemma there. If you're an atheist, basically means you're a determinist and you cannot change. But that's another uh, Salty Pastor episode. Number six, worry is caused by realistic concerns, whereas anxiety is not. Now, if you're concerned about getting fired because you did a really poor job on a project, you're worried. If you're concerned about getting fired because your boss didn't ask about your child's piano recital, you're anxious. So do you see how one is like rational fear and the other one's almost irrational? Okay. Uh, I think this is another good one. Number seven, worry tends to be controllable. Anxiety is not controllable. And this is what happens is like, you know, you've moved from worry to anxiety when you just get in that loop and you like that hamster wheel and you can't get off of it. You still have that same visceral, uh, physical response. So they go on to say that problem solving and thinking through strategies to deal with the cause of our worry, we can diminish it greatly. We can come up with solutions, but we have much less control over our anxiety as it is much harder to talk ourselves out of it. So this is really interesting. And this is why I think going back to the scriptures is so important where it talks about, you can't talk yourself out of anxiety. You can't problem solve your way out of anxiety. It requires something much stronger, more powerful. And I think that's why Jesus addressed it as a trust issue, right? And trust uh, is much more powerful than just problem solving skills. And so uh, hopefully we'll get an opportunity to dig into that principle later. All right. Number eight, worry tends to be a temporary state, right? But anxiety can linger for days, or even longer. Uh, the article goes on to say, once we resolve the issue worrying us, our worry tends to diminish and disappear. Anxiety, though, can linger for long periods of time and even jump from one focus to another. You know, one week we feel anxious about work, then the next week we feel anxious about our health, then the next week we feel anxious about our kids. It just becomes a perpetual state of anxiety, which I think that's very insightful. Number nine, worry doesn't impact our professional and personal functioning, but anxiety does. Now, no one takes a sick day to sit and worry about whether their teenager will do well on an exam. But anxiety can make us feel so restless, so uncomfortable, so incapable of concentrating that we might literally feel too distressed to work. Number 10, worry is considered a normative psychological state. Anxiety is not. Now, see, it's really interesting is what the research points out. And what I mean by that research that is actual research and has an efficacy to it. It's been peer reviewed and is qualitative. Worry is considered a, a normative psychological state. In other words, it fires up your adrenaline a little bit. It gets you problem solving. You think of a way to, to uh, navigate around it. But anxiety is considered a mental disorder. It really is. Uh, one that requires psychological treatment and some cases even medication. So I think that's important to note is that worry is different than anxiety. Worry can lead to anxiety. But worry is considered a normative psychological state. Anxiety is not. It's considered a mental disorder. It's diagnosed that way. Once that happens, then you got to realize, oh, wow, I've got the four buckets. I've really got to address 
you know, the spiritual, the biological, the clinical, and even, um, you know, uh, which one did I miss? The, the biological, the situational. I got to address the situational one. So it's really important to do that. You uh, have to do all of them. You can't just do that. I was talking in a, I got in a conversation this last Sunday with somebody and they were talking about, well, why'd you come up with the four buckets? You know, cause we found that really interesting and very insightful because I had a friend who was dealing with a severe diagnosis, a mental diagnosis. And, and so we were like, well, we want to pray about it. And, but we needed to do something so much more. And it was just really insightful. And then they shared this illustration with me and it says, it's kind of like, uh, you know, your, your, your life is like a car with four wheels. And if you, if one of them is flat, right, you still got to fix the flat tire. Uh, if all four are flat, you got to fix all four before you can move forward. And the four buckets kind of represent that is there four separate tires and you got to make sure that all four have been fixed if, if they are flat before you can move the vehicle forward. So it's kind of similar to that. Now, I think the biggest thing I want to kind of now talk about something totally different. And that is, is that if this is what worry is, and this is what anxiety is, and you have a deeper understanding now, a more pragmatic understanding of it, the next question should be, how do I create an anxious free life? How do I position my life, set up my life to reduce my anxiety? And here's where I'm going to be really, really salty. Uh, so uh, put your seatbelt on and here we go. Uh, if you're a teenager in high school or college and you want to position your life to be anxiety-free in your adult years, then I'm going to give you some very straightforward advice. Number one, get off social media. Research shows that social media creates anxiety among teenagers and college students. And so there is a direct causal link. The less social media you do, then the chances of you having a less anxious life are much higher. Find a way to communicate with your friends that doesn't require a social media presence. One of the things that social media has done to really lure in middle schoolers and teenagers and get them addicted on social media is what they've done is they create DMs and they create all these back channel ways to communicate with each other so you and your friends can communicate with each other without your parents knowing. I get it. That is a temptation of all teenagers. They all want to have their, oh, I want to have conversations that my parents don't know about. I get that. But the problem is, is what you don't realize is that the social media companies understand this and they have manipulated you and they have created dopamine issues within you. You may not be aware, but there's deep neuroscience that social media companies have developed of how you scroll with your thumb and what kind of pictures and what kind of do and what they try to do is create a situation that keeps you scrolling over and over and over again. So don't let them use your desire to communicate with your friends to manipulate you and addict you to something that's going to create anxiety in your life. And I guarantee you it will. Number two is take a fast from it if you're on it. You know, one of the greatest things that I see young people doing today, my kids have done it. Um, uh, I know a lot of young people, a lot of college students do it, is they fast from social media. They say, well, for one week, no Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, or any of all the gazillions of things that you can do. They just say, for one week, I'm turning it off. I know a lot of young people today that fast for their phones. They take a, a sabbatical from their phones. They turn their phones off on Friday night at six o'clock and they won't turn it on until Sunday night at five. You know, that is a really great habit to get into once a month. Uh, what it does to you is it recalibrates you emotionally because you got to understand 
Worry creates neural pathways. Anxiety wants to pave a road over them so that even if there's no rational reason to, to be worrying or have anxious feelings, you still have them. And so that's a really important thing. Social media has a direct connection to that. Number two, do not smoke marijuana. Don't do it. Everybody tells you on the internet and TikTok and YouTube reels and Instagram shorts and all this kind of stuff that if you smoke marijuana as a teenager, it's a harmless drug. That is a lie. That is 100% a lie. All the research done in the last 10 years has shown that there is a massive causal link between teenagers who smoke marijuana on a regular basis and issues like schizophrenia, bipolar disease, anxiety disorders in their late 20s and 30s. There is no escaping it. Anybody tells you any different is lying to you for their own personal reasons. The research is solid on this. It says if you smoke marijuana regularly as a teenager, you will have anxiety issues as an adult. If you by chance are now in your late 20s and 30s and 40s and you have anxiety issues, then you need to address the fact that you smoked marijuana as a teenager and it is one of the primary causes of your anxiety. Is it the only cause? Of course not. But it is one of the top. This is why there, there's a direct link between the increase in anxiety issues and disorders among young people and the legalization of marijuana in various states. You go back and you look at when they legalized it, it became much more readily available and you see anxiety disorders and people upticking. And no one wants you to know this reality. They don't want you to know these facts, these scientific facts, because they uh, want it to be legal. Now, I'm not saying it should be legal or not, but what I'm saying is that it has a direct impact on your emotional and mental health. Number three, do not depend on the pharmaceutical industry to heal you from anxiety. The pharmaceutical industry is not interested in helping you heal from anxiety because they make billions of dollars off anti-anxiety medications. And th there are some things that you might have to live with your whole life, right? If you have bad eyesight, you're going to have to wear contacts or you're going to have to wear glasses your whole life. If, if you were born with a birth defect and you don't have a left foot, well, you're going to have to wear a prosthesis your life. You're in a car wreck, right? And you lost your right arm. You're going to have to deal with that the rest of your life. When it comes to anxiety, though, that is not one of them. That is not one of those things. Don't let society steal your hope that you can be whole. It is treatable and it is possible to overcome. The reason I say this, particularly young people, is that I have got college students and young adults that have written me letters and they have just taken me to task. And they tell me that they hate my guts to no end simply because I told them that you are not a victim of your anxiety. Simply because I have told them that you can be healed from this because they are convinced that their struggle with anxiety is the exact same thing as a person who has had their leg amputated because of a car wreck. And now they are perpetually handicapped. 
And it's, it's astonishing to me just the vitriol that they have sent my way simply because I take that position. And of course, my response to that is, well, maybe the reason you're so angry and you're so vitriolic is because what I'm saying is true. Because if it was false, you wouldn't care. But it is true. And guess what? I love you, care enough about you, even though I don't know you, to tell you the truth. Because people lie to you all day long. And a lot of your problems, young people, in your life today is because you've believed the lies. And so that's what the Salty Pastor is about. I don't tell you what, you're spo- what you have to do. I'm not here telling you what music to listen to, who to vote for. I'm not telling you, you know, what clothes to wear. I'm not telling you what you should do for a job. I'm not t- but I am telling you this. There's people who lie to you. They lie to you all the time, and you believe some of them. You're not going to live and grow and, and have a great life if you persist in that mentality. And one of the biggest lies that society tells you is that, anxiety disorder that you have is like a handicap you can never cure. And I'm just saying that's just simply not true. It's not false. It's completely false. So number three, if you're a teenager in high school or college and you're dealing with anxiety, get the right tools in your toolbox, get the right tools in your toolbox, learn the right lessons, life lessons right now, not when you're 40. The purpose of your teen years and even into your early 20s is not to party hardy and be free of all responsibility. It's a time where when you turn 18, particularly, you should be make the biggest responsibility engagement of your life. And that is, I'm in charge of my life now. I'm going to develop my own life. The decision you make today is going to have a massive impact on the life you live in your 30s. So don't Look at your teens and 20s as the time to just be free and irresponsible. That is the worst time to be free and irresponsible in your life because you will reap the decisions you make right now for the next four decades of your life. And when I mean the the reaping of the decisions you make, I'm talking about your relational life, whether you actually end up falling in love and finding someone that you can have a relationship that lasts throughout your life. Or the other side is perpetual relationships that you're never fulfilled in, you're never committed to, you're completely betrayed, you're isolated, and you're alone. Whether you go down the first path or the second path is all dependent on the decisions that you make today. And one of the lies that society tells you about is, oh, you're 18, 19, you're still a kid, and I'm telling you the truth, no, you're not, you're an adult. I want to treat you like an adult. And what it means to be an adult is say, I'm going to make decisions that are going to continue to impact my life for decades to come. So if you're a teenager, get the right tools in your toolbox right now. That is the best way to create an anxious free life from here on out. Like for instance, one tool in your back is manage and control social media in your life. Number two, the right tools in your toolbox. Get friends that are good for you and not bad for you. You know, these are tools in your toolbox. Figure out your morals, things that you have, especially if you're a young man. For crying out loud, develop a code of honor. I can't tell you how many 19 and 20-year-old males have zero code of honor. And it's just like, you need to figure one out because you'll never be a man until you have your own code of honor. You know, follow, you know, these are things that I will do and I won't do no matter what. Find those things, have convictions. These are tools in your toolbox. You know what they do? 
is they create an anxious free life in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. Number uh, four, this is where you guys are going to be really upset with me, but I'm happy to make you upset. And that is do not be sexually active. Research says that females who have more than five to seven sexual partners only have a 20% chance of relationally bonding with somebody in life. You know, let me say it another word in another way. This means you only have a 20% chance of falling and staying in love with somebody if you have more than seven sexual partners. So body count matters. And you live in a society that says body count doesn't matter. If you want to fall in love and have a great romance in your life, then don't be sexually active. Men, uh, males who are sexually active, uh, if they start to have seven, eight, nine, ten partners, guess what happens? They begin to see fema- females not as these wondrous creatures to love, protect, and provide for, but they exist to meet their needs. They won't be developing a soulmate with that mentality at all. And so the greatest thing that you can do as a masculine male is find a woman that you want to provide for and to protect throughout her whole life. You want to create a secure environment for her. And that will bring more satisfaction and self-worth to you as a man than almost anything else you do. It's, it's very important to do that. So go down that path. So what, what interferes with this path, what short circuits this path is, well, I'm just going to be sexually active and say it doesn't matter. And so it's funny, it's great movies, but it has devastating impact on the anxiety that you'll develop in your life. Um, number four. If you're a teenager in high school or you're a college student and you want to have an anxious free life, then try and answer the biggest questions of life right now. Just do it. Ask yourself the question is, does life have a point? Why do I exist? Or how about this one? Does my life have a purpose? You should be asking those questions as a 19 year old and you should be trying to seek an answer. And That is directly related to how anxious the rest of your life will be. So I want to keep going. I want to talk about uh, take into account if you're a teenager, if you're in college, is the last thing I want to say, and you want to have an anxious free life, take into account the family that you grew up in. Really, uh, do do an analysis of it. If you grew up in a divorced family, a blended family, uh, maybe an intact two-parent home, but there's some dysfunction or toxicity in it, then your potential for anxiety as an adult is increased. So you have to take that into account. Now, you know what you can do is you can pretend that it didn't impact you in a negative way. You can assume it doesn't impact you in a negative way. And then when you get into your early 30s, you have to realize, oh, wow, it does impact me in ways I never realized. Now I have to do all this hard work. Or you can admit, wow, I didn't grow up in the best of circumstances. It's influenced me. I would like to figure out how it's influenced me now instead of later. And that is really good to do. That's work you should be doing in your, when you're 19, 20, 21 years old. You should be trying to figure out, oh, how did this imperfect situation that I grew up in impact me? How did it do that? And, and I like to know how it's, it's impacted me. I need to figure that out because what it will do is it will help me live an anxious-free life for the next five decades. That's what you want. Let's keep going. What if you're in your thirties or let me say this. What if you're in your twenties, you're out of college, you're in your twenties and you're around 30 
um, and you want to live an anxious-free life, well, here's some tools for you. Okay, number one, stay away from drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol, particularly drug addiction and alcoholism, directly linked to increased anxiety disorders in your life. Number two, if you're in your late 20s, do hard things, right? Do hard things. Try challenging things. Push yourself. The notion, I can't tell you how many 25-year-olds are like, oh, I'm so stressed out. I'm so overwhelmed. I have so much to do. And they're not doing anything. They're working a part-time job and playing video games. I'm like, dude, get off the couch. Get out of your basement. Go do hard things. Climb mountains. Uh, fix cars. Build houses. You know, reroute rivers. Uh you know, conquer physics. I don't know. Do something hard. There is a direct correlation to never challenging yourself, never pushing yourself, never seeing what you're made of, making mistakes, picking yourself up out of the dust, suffering defeat, suffering victory. There is a direct correlation between all of that and how much anxiety you have as an adult. Because if you don't push yourself and you don't try hard things, do challenging things as a young man and a young woman, guess what? You don't develop the emotional tenacity and grit that keeps anxiety at bay. You always stay in the worry department. Oh, I'm worried about this. I'm going to fix it. You know, sometimes you need a, an adrenaline worry rush to get your brain working, to figure out new things to do and new solutions. So... Get going. Try hard things. Here's another one. Don't play house. What I mean by that is don't find a girl and start living with her and acting like you're married. Okay? That, that's called playing house. And all you're doing is you're not practicing to be married. You're not practicing to be married. I'm going to quote uh, a pastor in the Midwest from Life Church TV called Craig Rochelle. He says, all you're practicing is how to get divorced. And he's exactly right. That's all you're doing. So don't play house. If, you, if you're not ready to make a commitment, guys, and find a woman that you're going to say, I'm going to make a covenant with her, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to uh, love this woman. I'm going to provide for her. I'm going to protect her. I'm going to work my butt off to make her life better. I'm going to do everything I can, um, regardless of her ups and downs. I'm going to do that. Then don't, then if you're not ready to do that, then don't play house with women. Just don't do it. Just say to yourself, I'm kind of not ready for that right now, okay? I want to tell you something that maybe you've never heard in your life. If you're a young man in your late 20s, and that is, if you don't have sex, you won't die. Did you catch that? If you're not sexually active, you're not going to die. Now, it may not be fun, but you're not going to die. Now, if you don't have water, you're going to die. If you don't have food, you're going to die. If you don't have shelter, you can die. If you don't have sex, you're not going to die, Okay. It just means you're not ready for that yet. So don't play house, all right? I know that's salty, but I'm being salty today. I feel exceptionally salty today. I should have worn my extra salty T-shirt, okay? Now, if you're, if you're in your late 20s and early 30s and you haven't answered the question yet of does your life have a purpose, does life have meaning, then you need to answer those questions as soon as possible. Because if you don't, you're going to have an anxious, ridden life. Now, what if you're between 30 and 45? Let's keep going here. What, what, how do you stay out of anxiety? Well, if you've laid the groundwork up to this point, it's a little bit easier. But even if you haven't, there's things you can do right now. Number one is establish a pattern of consistency in your life. Develop routines that build your life up. Get into a routine of exercise, right? 
get into a routine of building a hobby, get into relational routines. Uh, with If you're married, get into a routine of, hey, once a month, we have a date night without the kids. Uh, if you're single, you have to get into a routine that says, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to circulate with new people and I'm going to try to meet new people at, and I'm going to be involved in these types of things that help do that. Uh, number two, don't overcommit to your children's activities. One of the problems that I see today that creates so much anxiety in people between 30 and 45 is, th you know, they want their kid to be an astronaut, a professional athlete, and an academic star. It's just like, oh my goodness, the likelihood of your child being any of those things is so slim. What you want is you just want a normal, healthy kid, right? You just want that has experiences to grow their character. So, Keep that in balance. Don't overcommit to your children's activities. Okay. Number three, avoid social media relationships, especially if you're single. Avoid relationships developed on social media. They are shallow, they're deceitful. Just don't do it. And number four, focus on developing relationships that are good for you and your stage in life. Relationships that require ongoing investments over time. So you want friendships, you want small groups, you want peer groups, you want professional groups that you need to be a part of for more than two months or three months. You need to be a part of these things for three years and five years and seven years. Look, your whole life, you're going to be living 80, 90 years. You need to have relationships that you develop over time. Okay. Now what happens if you're 45 to 60? Well, this is where you really need to clarify the big rocks in your life. Focus on fewer things and try to have a higher quality of your commitment, okay? What are the most important things you want to develop during these years? Develop those things. Anxiety can drive you to blow up your life simply because you never address the, those neural pathways that have been paved that developed and caused anxiety in your life in certain situations. You know, th this is just a fact. I don't bring it up to be cruel, but if you have a history of broken relationships, then the chances are you're going to have ongoing broken relationships, right? You're attracted to people who have the same issues that you do. You're going to be unable to bond to those people. And then, you, and then every ensuing relationship, whether you're living with somebody or you're married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced, it, it just becomes the same thing over and over and over again. And now you get to 50 years old and you look at your life and you are overwhelmed with the vapidness of the way you've lived. Now, I want to spare you from that and say, don't let anxiety blow up your life. And you do that by focusing on fewer things at higher quality, making commitments and keeping them regardless of how you feel. Join communities, particularly churches, get in men's groups that are what I call a long road to obedience, right? You, you get in a group of guys and it's like, my goal is not to be with these guys for six months and see what they can do for me. My goal is to be committed to these guys for the next five years of my life. That's what you need. Now, I wish I had time to go into the mechanics for resolving worry anxiety in your life. Uh, I don't have time for that, you know, because we've already gone long. But there's some really good resources out there. But most importantly is I would say read your Bible. Read that passage in Luke. Read that passage in Matthew chapter 6 where it just talks about the cure for anxiety. And basically that means develop your soul. Really develop your soul firm up what you believe, and get connected with a Bible teaching, Bible community of people. 
regard, especially if you're a listener to Salty Pastor and your way out there, find a way to connect and get your soul growing, get your soul developing, get your soul maturing. Because that, a strong soul, your soul's like a muscle, the stronger your soul is, then guess what? The more able it is to resist the pull of worry and anxiety in your life. So I hope that uh, this week was really helpful for you. If you're listening, please feel free to share this episode with other people. Hey, my, the salty pastor talked about worry and anxiety. Maybe you could pick up some insights. I hope it was insightful for you. And please feel free to drop a comment. Feel free to support and share this episode. Until next week, as we continue our series, Weeds in My Garden, I'm signing off the salty pastor. Blessings on you.